BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We all know someone with hearing loss, maybe even struggle with it ourselves. But unfortunately, hearing aids cost thousands, which most people just can't afford. Now there's an alternative. A company called Audion Hearing just released new over-the-counter hearing aids for only $189, and they sound amazing. Highly recommended for anyone with hearing loss. Check out audionhearing.com for their 45-day risk-free trial. That's A-U-D-I-E-N hearing.com. And you can use code Keith for $25 off. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. America is not divided over the prosecution of Donald Trump for January 6th. A new sober, responsible poll shows it is in favor of it by a wide margin, by eight percentage points. America is not divided over whether he broke the law in Georgia. A new, sober, responsible poll shows it is convinced he broke the law in Georgia by a wide margin, by 23 percentage points. America is not divided over whether the 2020 election was stolen. Seven in 10 say it was not. And Trump is not getting greater support from his base because of his three and a half indictments. A new, sober, responsible poll shows he may, in fact, be losing a little of it. And the effort to paint over these obvious, statistically proven realities is the latest crime of both sidesism being committed by the American media. Both sidesism is afraid of stating any truth that requires any assessment or evaluation or analysis or risks accusations of liberal bias. Both sidesism is afraid of any choice that is not which is bigger, A, the elephant, or B, the mouse. Both sidesism is fearful and lazy and self-interested, and it is dangerous, and it is in play. And even those organizations that actually produce the evidence that this nation is convinced Trump has broken the law in Georgia, in Washington, in America, and that Jack Smith and Fonnie Willis are right to prosecute him, even those very organizations are whispering the results 
for fear of blowback or worse, because blowback is just too much trouble for the executives. The Associated Press has a new poll out on the prosecutions of Trump, and it fulfills the organization's sacred obligation to both sidesism by positioning its results in the headlines, in the links as, quote, Americans are divided along party lines over Trump's actions in election cases. They are not in Georgia. The question was phrased thusly. What do you think of Trump's alleged attempt to interfere in the 2020 Georgia vote count? Illegal, unethical, but not illegal or nothing wrong? 51 percent of Americans say it is illegal. Oh, only 51 percent, a divided nation. But wait, the combined vote for unethical but not illegal and nothing was wrong. The combined total in those two categories is 28 percent. The rest are undecided. That is not a split. That is not a divided nation. That's 51 to 28. Same question about January 6th. Illegal? Oh, only 47 percent say it was illegal. A minority. The combined unethical or nothing wrong total is 39 percent. Seven in 10 Americans say the 2020 election was not stolen from Trump. That is also not an indication of a divided nation. 53% say the Justice Department was right to indict him. Why, that's barely more than half, though. Once again, half of the results are left out to make this look like it is a debate. 53% say the federal indictments are justified. Only 30%, 30% say it is not. There are undecided people in the Associated Press poll. And in every one of these stats, for the numbers just to actually be close, for this nation to actually be what the AP headline claims, but the AP poll refutes, all of the undecideds have to break in Trump's favor. All that is to come in the next weeks and months of continuing indictments and continuing revelations and now co-conspirators flipping and the actual testimony beginning, all of that that is to come would have to somehow make Trump look better. It will not. America has made up its mind on Trump. Guilty, venal, deserving of prosecution. The only ones saying otherwise are lying and they are Trump and his cult, and they are the lazy, cowardly, both sidesist media. And it's not even true that Trump is getting martyrdom brownie points from his own morals dead crowd. A poll from Temple University used an unusual method of surveying whether the indictments really have been strengthening Trump's support within his party, as he and every one of his cultists keep claiming. Temple does not ask if you are now likelier to do thing A because event B happened. It asks you flatly if you are going to do thing A. And then it asks you what you would have done if event B had never happened. It is called the counterfactual format 
And there is considerable evidence that it produces far less partisan answers or people giving the answer they think is expected of them. And what it shows is no gain for Trump because of the indictments among Republicans. In fact, a slight loss. We are measuring hair breadths. But the election will surely come down to hair breadths again. So this counts. In the Temple poll, just over 64% of Republicans surveyed said that after the indictments, they are still likely to vote for Trump in the primary. But just under 66% of the same group of Republicans said they would have been more likely to vote for him if he had not been indicted. America has made up its mind. Even some Republicans are regaining theirs. You know what 2%, the difference in the Temple poll, 2% of just the registered Republicans amounts to in actual votes? 800,000. The indictments cost Trump the support of 800,000 Republicans. Hell, even Ted Cruz said last night he's not endorsing Trump in the primary. He used as his excuse the fact that he's such a target in his Senate re-election race. He says he can't afford to alienate a single DeSantis voter or a single Trump voter. Because, yeah, Ted, a bunch of disgruntled Texas Trump voters are going to vote against you. Uh Uh-huh. This is where we are. Mark Meadows gets his hearing to move his part of the case of the Trump 19 into federal court. It will be on August 28th, two Mondays from now. But Trump's lawyers will be in Washington at the same hour because August 28th is also the Judge Tanya Chutkin hearing at which she is expected to set the date of the start of Trump's January 6th trial. That would be Tanya Chutkin, against whom death threats are beginning to pop up. In one, a woman leaves a voicemail calling her a, quote, slave. And Rice Street, the Fulton County Jail, where Meadows will still have to go to show up for processing and fingerprinting and a mugshot by Friday the 25th, before his hearing. Atlanta, where the grand jurors who indicted him and Trump and 17 others have been doxxed by fascists, and they are now getting death threats. And again, Meadows' hearing is not next Monday, the 21st. It's the following one, the 28th. Next Monday is the great Trump news conference at which he will reveal the great Harrington Declaration. And only Donald Trump could possibly get indicted on 13 separate counts of, in essence, trying to defraud the voters of Georgia by lying about the election and follow that up by holding a news conference at which he will try to escape by presenting a 100-page report written in part by a crazy-eyed publicist consisting entirely of, again, trying to defraud the voters of Georgia by lying about the election. Frankly, one of his countless ex-attorneys, Ty Cobb, now says there's a good chance that whatever document he produces ends up as evidence against him because it's likely to be fiction and solely for the purpose of contaminating the jury pool. 11 a.m., Trump Bedminster Golf Course in New Jersey. See Trump try to get himself indicted on counts 14, 15, and 16. If only Ivana were there to stop him. Actually, she is. 
Maybe he communicated with her by those unsent Twitter direct message drafts. This is the theory that will not go away. Now, Politico notes that buried deep in the unsealed court documents on Jack Smith getting access to Trump's Twitter account, quote, one thing prosecutors appeared to pursue is who currently has the keys, unquote. The court docs show that as of February, the list included Trump's representatives to the National Archives and Records Administration, NARA. Oh, hell, this is where I came in. You might recall that this entire dance of the dueling courtrooms began because Trump and his liaisons would not listen when NARA asked for all its stuff back from Mar-a-Lago. When Trump withdrew his troops from Washington in January 2021, those NARA liaisons were Mark Meadows, not anymore, and a clown car of former White House and DOJ attorney Scott Gass, Michael Perpura, Stephen Engel, John Eisenberg, and at least two names who are probably not on the list anymore either. Pat Philbin and Pat Patsy Baloney Cipollone. In 2022, as he made the fateful decision not to give NARA its stuff back, Trump added two names, and this is where access to the Twitter account might actually turn out to be something of the spy novel genre. The two new names were the propagandist John Solomon and pop-eyed factotum Cash Patel. I keep thinking this Trump Twitter DM story is going to get only bigger and bigger, and if it doesn't get bigger right away, it will get bigger later, because there is going to be a big leak of something we have no idea about, and then there's going to be a big hearing in which Trump lawyers try to get all of it excluded. So Trump Twitter DMs, leave space on your calendar for that. Oh, your calendar. That reminds me, it is never too early to shop for the holidays. And let me give you a heads up and a head start on the hottest gift for Christmas 2023. Yes, it's this beautiful official Donald Trump 2024 court appearance calendar featuring not just wonderful photography of Trump himself. It's lifelike, even if he isn't, but also photography of all the prosecutors and the courthouses and his fellow defendants and the unindicted co-conspirators. So your official Donald Trump 2024 court appearance calendar does in fact go all the way through December 2028. 60 months. What would you pay for this gorgeous full color calendar? And when I say full color, of course, I mean, it's all that cheap Rust-Oleum gold. So beloved by the maestro himself. Wait, before you answer... Your official Donald Trump 2024 court appearance calendar also comes complete with the dates of the 2024 campaign. So you can follow along as Trump hopscotches the world from the planned start of the federal trial in Washington on Tuesday, January 2nd to the Iowa caucuses on Monday, January 15th. And by the way, in the spirit of good fun, 
our Trump playmate for January will be Ron DeSantis, good-naturedly holding up a ball and chain. Now, look ahead. Turn the pages over to March. Damn thing won't hold still. What an exciting time March is. The GOP caucus is in Idaho on Saturday, March 2nd. Then there's an extra-large calendar square for Monday, March 4th for the caucuses in North Dakota and... The start of Trump's trial in Georgia that Fonnie Willis just put in for. Thank goodness the supreme being Trump has his own plane and can be in two places at once. But can he be in 15 places the next day? Because after Monday, March 4th, comes Tuesday, March 5th, Super Tuesday. And you'll need your official Trump 2024 court appearance calendar to keep track of the Trump primaries in Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, and Virginia. Oh. And don't forget, six more primaries, including the big thriller in Florida on Tuesday, March 19th, and Louisiana on Saturday, March 23rd, and then back home to Fun City for Monday, March 25th, and the first day of the Stormy Daniels hush money trial in New York, New York. The town so nice, they indicted him twice. And of course, in honor of that case, where Trump allegedly paid a woman to keep quiet about what their sex life is like, we have this amazing high-definition photo of that woman. Melania Trump. But wait, there's more. The calendar page for May is fun, fun, fun. Monday, May 20th, the day Judge Eileen Cannon has selected to start the stolen documents case in Florida. And then Tuesday, May 21st, Republican primary day in Oregon and Mitch McConnell's Kentucky. And needless to say, there is our pinup photo for May of that judge that Trump appointed who has absolutely no business being on the court. Brad Kavanaugh. Okay, you get the idea. Fonnie Willis has asked the judge to start the trial of the Trump 19 on March 4th. As she announced the indictments Monday night, there was considerable doubt she could get the thing started within her goal of six months. Hell, The co-defendants probably won't be done flipping on Trump by March the 4th. But for sheer crassness and borderline racism, you have to hand it to Politico, the amoral access factory, whose daily email playbook often leads the world in the clankiest tone-deaf notes. Its headline about whether the Fonnie Willis goal of March 4th is realistic was yesterday. Any guesses? Be very, very low in your estimations of what they would be willing to do. Any guesses? Quote, what you talking about, Willis, unquote. Politico did slightly redeem itself from that by clarifying Trump's extra large conundrum in Georgia. The governor cannot pardon anybody in Georgia. Nope. Worse yet, nobody can pardon anybody until five years after that person has completed his or her sentence. And that pardon would have to come from the five-member State Board of Pardons and Paroles. So even in the event of a lightning-speed trial, Trump is not looking at a pardon before late 2029. And he will need more than five more editions of the official Donald Trump court appearance calendar before he gets that pardon. As Politico writes... One of the primary qualities the board looks for in pardon applicants is someone who has taken responsibility for their actions and has shown remorse for them, unquote. Sorry, Trump. Being sorry you got caught 
don't count. Okay, time for America's favorite new game show. Once again, let's play Trumple! Thank you again, Nancy Faust. And ooh, we may have a Trumple winner. And remember, these identities matter because they all might still be indicted or they might already be cooperating. Just security has fingered Tom Fitton as Georgia unindicted co-conspirator number one. He is the guy who discussed the draft of a speech claiming Trump was a victim of voter fraud and had really won in 2020, only the conversation with Trump was on Halloween. So four days before the election and before anybody knew who won and before any votes could have been fraudulent, Reminiscent of that Roger Stone video that surfaced last night, but more meaningful than that video, Roger Stone dictating a fake elector scheme before the election is infuriating, and it's a good thing to show on television. But if Trump is not in the room, it's no more meaningful than Rudy Giuliani telling his mistress in 2019 about the plan for a phony claim of election fraud, or me telling you that I thought Trump would try it four and a half years before he actually did. Ryan Goodman at Just Security has Boris Epstein as number three, Bernie Carrick at number five, and Phil Waldron at six. And the Washington Post, separately pursuing this, agrees on those two, Carrick and Waldron. Goodman has false electors at nine through 19. I'll need names, sir. I will need names. Goodman throws a wrench in at 20, where the cognoscenti think it's Patrick Byrne, but he thinks it might just be Mike Flynn after all. The others are not household names, though we have to give a tip of the Trumple chapeau to Goodman's possibilities for number 27. Two election fraud conspiracy mavens, Michael Pospazalski or Jovan Pulitzer. Jovan Pulitzer! And you will be happy to know that Jovan Pulitzer is also known by his middle name. He is he is Jay Hutton Pulitzer to his friends, of whom he has none. Certainly not after all this. Also of interest here, not only has the state of Kansas backed off its raid of the Marion Record newspaper and given the paper all of its stuff back, but the judge who signed the warrant for the corrupt police chief to go in and trash the place has, it turns out, a record of past DUIs, one of which reportedly came while she was driving with a license that had been suspended because of her first DUI. So it's all better now? Yeah, what did they do about the publisher who died after the police raided her home? That's next. This is Countdown. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
We all know someone with hearing loss, or maybe even struggle with it ourselves. But unfortunately, hearing aids cost thousands, which most people just can't afford. Now there's an alternative. A company called Audion Hearing just released new over-the-counter hearing aids for only $189, and they sound amazing. Highly recommended for anyone with hearing loss. Check out audionhearing.com for their 45-day risk-free trial. That's A-U-D-I-E-N hearing.com, and you can use code Keith for $25 off. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Time now for the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze governor, Ron DeSantis. It is encouraging to see that if you do bad things long enough, they will catch up with you. And if you do enough bad things long enough, they will consume you. The latest jaw-dropper from the Kingdom of Fascist Florida, and I'm not saying this ranks with teaching kids that slavery had the silver lining of promoting good blacksmithing training, but it's bad. The Miami New Times reports that under a new rule adopted last month by the Florida Board of Indoctrination uh, Education, parents will have to sign permission slips to enable teachers to call their kids by anything other than their legal first names. Now, you can see where the transphobes and the other sickos in Florida are going with this. If a transitioning girl wants to be called Amy and her legal name is Andrew, teachers will have to call her Andrew unless the parents approve in writing. But as usual, to fulfill their little theocratic fantasies, Everybody else suffers. This also means that if Thomas wants to be called Tommy, parents have to submit a form saying the teachers can call him Tommy. What the hell do they do if he also wants to be called Tommy some days, but Tom on others because he's a kid? This amendment is to strengthen the rights of parents and safeguard their child's educational record, said Board of Education spokesperson Gingerbread T. Hag. Gingerbread Tea Hag. That's an unusual name. To ensure the use of the child's legal name in school. The bronze serial Canadian victim Dr. Jordan Peterson and his publisher's Penguin Books. The paperback edition of his latest whining about how bad white men have it in this cruel, cruel world 
contains quotes from several reviewers, one of them James Marriott of the Times of London, describes Peterson's book as, quote, a philosophy of the meaning of life. But Marriott wrote that Peterson's philosophy of the meaning of life was, quote, bonkers. They cut out the bonkers part. Marriott hated Peterson's book, so they simply edited out the part he hated in his review and put it on the jacket. Also about penguin books. These books are not made out of penguins, and they are not produced by penguins, so we need to look into the name too, don't we? But the winner, Laura Vier, the eighth judicial district magistrate judge who authorized the Gestapo-style raid on the offices of the Marion County Record newspaper, which resulted in all of its electronics being seized and its investigations into the drunk driving record of a local restaurateur and the allegations against the town police chief being thwarted and the paper's 98-year-old publisher being at home when they raided her home and then she had a seizure and died. First, another judge in Kansas ruled yesterday that the warrant that Judge Vire approved was invalid, probably illegal, and unwarranted. And that judge ordered everything returned immediately to the Marion County record, except, of course, for the publisher, since she's dead. Then the Wichita Eagle newspaper broke news that Judge Vire has a little problem. She has her own history of drunk driving, and that there seems to have been a conspiracy to cover at least part of it up. While she was still going by the name Laura Allen and she was the lead prosecutor in Morris County, Kansas, she was arrested for DUI in January 2012. She made a plea deal in which she was supposed to go into a diversion program, but then she stopped communicating with her lawyer and she refused to get an alcohol and drug evaluation according to the paper, so her suspended license was suspended again. And that's when, in August 2012, she was driving with a suspended license and in another judge's car in a different county in Kansas when she rammed that car into a school building next to the school football field at Council Grove School. The first county apparently never knew about the second DUI in the other county, so instead of becoming a jail prisoner, Laura Byer became a judge and single-handedly overruled the First Amendment in this country and led to the death of a 98-year-old woman. Happily, the Kansas State Board of Investigation is now taking over the whole thing as a criminal case, and hopefully Police Chief Gideon Cody winds up in prison and save a cell for Judge Laura Vire, that is, Vire as in liar, because she truly is today's worst person in the world. Now a little earlier than usual to the number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic, me and things I promised not to tell. And I wanted to tell again the story of Mishu. I've mentioned this previously. I never had a dog until 2012. I was allergic to dogs as a kid, and I still am to the big fur dogs. I love them. But about half an hour in a closed space with a fur dog and I stopped breathing. Also, I was repeatedly warned by my allergists over the decades that so-called hypoallergenic dogs weren't really a thing, always. And if you had a minor reaction to the hair of a poodle or a Westie or a Maltese, you were lucky. And if you didn't and the dog had to go back, you had heartbreak. I didn't. 
and I was blessed by the opposite of heartbreak. And I rapidly realized, no dogs, I have wasted the first 53 years of my existence. Then I was born again in dogs. So I've tried to make up for the lack of dogs. My gal Stevie and I, yesterday we walked to the Animal Medical Center here in New York for her rehab where she goes uh, sometimes in an underwater treadmill to work on her two floating kneecaps and her torn ACL. She couldn't walk in April. Now we walk the 45 minutes over to rehab. I'm not sure what she's rehabbing, but she loves it. Rose, her sister, is nine. She and I were out yesterday afternoon. She comes with me to my physical therapist's, and she is my physical therapist's therapy. I had often looked into getting a third dog, and I had gotten heavily involved in dog rescue work, and then in 2018, those two streams crossed. I got a call from my friend Sue Levitt. She runs the rescue part of the American Maltese Association, runs it for much of the Northeast, and she said, we have something special and challenging, and if you don't want to do it, I understand. He's a three-month-old Maltese pup. He has a terrible, terrible heart condition. They're not sure if he's going to make it past 10 months. Could you take him? Could you take him over to his heart appointments? We'll help pay for it, but could you just give him a home, and then we'll see what happens? I thought about it for about five seconds. I said yes, and soon... Spaghetti was in my apartment trying to boss around Stevie and Rose, and I knew he needed to stay, and he needed a new name. Spaghetti? Spaghetti. Getty? Teddy? Ted. My dad's name. Perfect. I was so prepared for the worst with Ted that it was July, and I didn't buy him any stuff for winter. Then I took him to the Animal Medical Center here, and the cardiologist, Dennis Trafney, said he's got a heavy valve in his heart. If we don't do anything, he's got five to seven years. Wait, years? But with medication, that's seven to ten years, but I can operate on him. I can give him probably a normal lifespan, and I'll thread this filament. See, I'm holding this up. I feed it in through his jugular vein, and then it goes into his heart. Then we stop his heart electrically for like three seconds. We push this button on the end of the filament, and at the other end of the filament, you see the tiny balloon, and it pushes the valve open, and you just keep doing it as long as he can stand it. It's like knocking the rust off a hinge by just continually opening the door again and again. And I said, I don't see any filament. And Dr. Trafney said, sorry, and he moved it in front of a black background, and there it was. And I said, great, let's try it. And then I said, why did they think he was not going to make it past 10 months when you say that he would have had five to seven years anyway? And the doctor said, well, if you're a vet, you might see this condition once in your career. I operate on it about three times a month. It went kind of well. Ted just turned five. There is no other way to describe Ted. He is a five-year-old boy in a dog's body. On walks, Ted looks for and flirts with all the human girls, especially if they are sitting on blankets. He comes over, stretches out, rubs up against them in a good way. Ted also barks at all dogs bigger than him and then goes up and tries to say hi to them. He has his enemies, the printer, the plunger, the thunder, and most recently the thunder's relative, the rain, 
and there are at least a dozen television commercials that Ted can't stand and knows by the first sound he hears during them. The operation went so well, in fact, that they were about an hour late giving him back to me in 2018 because, as the surgical resident said, he'd had to do all the tests a second time because he was worried he had screwed up the first set of tests because the results were too good. If I could have gotten luckier, given the prognosis with which Ted arrived, I don't know how. So... When my friend Sue from Maltese Rescue called, now two years ago, and said, I have a really, really tough case, and I don't think there's a chance that there is going to be an unexpectedly positive outcome like we had with Ted, I listened very carefully. This was another Maltese puppy, barely three months. The family he was born into loved him, but there were two young kids there, and frankly, the mother thought they were too young to watch this little dog die. His name was Mishu. It was Polish for little bear, and he had Tetralogy of Fallot. If that sounds vaguely familiar, in a human child, it takes surgery that can last 12 hours to correct. Jimmy Kimmel's son had it. You may remember it from there. In dogs, there have been some early experiments in surgery, very promising, but almost exclusively for bigger dogs. If you've ever seen the drawings of M.C. Escher, where the same staircase looks like it's going up and going down at the same time, that is what a heart afflicted with Tetralogy of Fallot looks like. There are arteries going over the heart and others that take the newly oxygenated blood out of the heart in the wrong direction. In August 2021, Mishu arrived here. It's easy to romanticize things like this, but there was something magical about him from the first day, two years ago tomorrow. He was very, very sick. His tongue and gums were purple. He wasn't getting enough oxygen. He was tiny. He was dwarfed by my other three dogs, and yet he would start trouble with them. He would silently charge Ted, or he'd go up and yap at Stevie, and soon he'd get all three of them playing and fighting, and that's all the strength he had. A minute tops, and he would have to sit down and watch the chaos he had created, and he enjoyed doing that too, and he loved it, and he loved them. If two of the dogs were lying near each other but not next to each other, not together, Mishu would go and lie exactly in the empty space between them. So his head rested on one dog and his back paws on the other. And soon they would respond to his presence by arranging themselves, cuddling together with a space for him in between. Once, I was stretched out, legs up on my couch, and the four of them climbed in, two of them by my feet, two of them by my knees. I called Mishu's name, and he turned up and looked at me with a look of, I have to say, satisfaction. And then the four of them almost simultaneously fell asleep there. Such a simple thing. And yet it easily remains one of the most extraordinary and wonderful moments of my life. And I prayed that night, and not for the last time, that if there was no miracle meant for Mishu, that at least when he left us, it would be while he was in my arms. And by the way, Mishu was an athlete. He just was an athlete who had no stamina. In the pen, I would keep him in for his own safety when I had to go out. Mishu would get up on his hind legs and stand 
or try to get out, and once he did get out, he trotted confidently around my place, and he loved to move and run and play, and then he'd have to stop. Mishu also enjoyed food as much as any dog or any human I have ever known. He gained nearly a pound a month while he was with me. If you approached him with a treat, he would literally punch the air with one of his front legs like an athlete celebrating a success, and often with one front leg and then the other like they were exultant fists. And the sheer joy of that never failed to make me smile and laugh. Put him on his back next to you, jab a finger at his paws, and you would be in a boxing match with a four-pound puppy who loved to duke it out with you. You always knew when the fight was over, though, Mish would stop throwing hands or paws and simply take his front paws and grab your finger and hold it. He once did this with me for a solid minute. I have never felt more as if I were truly communicating with any dog. He was an extraordinarily happy puppy, even when he felt bad physically, and those were harrowing times. Mishu would be sitting on my lap usually, or walking on the floor, or just chilling with the other dogs, when he would suddenly tense up, sometimes letting out a cry, and twice that cry was like that of a young human boy, so startling that the other dogs stopped and stared with what could genuinely be described as a look of alarm. Most times, the tensing was my cue to grab him and hold him tight. That inability to get oxygen to all the parts of his body would cause his body to contract and writhe, and if he was on any surface other than the ground, it could literally propel him to the floor. The contraction threw him around. The first time he did that, my veterinarian was here, and she said, you may have to take him to the emergency room. She said it was essentially what a dog does just before it faints. And then within seconds, it would stop. His body would relax, and more or less by accident, I also discovered that after one of these seizures, he seemed to be soothed if I carried him and walked him around, gently rocking him in my arms and whistling at him or talking to him as I walked. He and I solved a lot of the world's problems in those little walks, out in the fresh air, on the balcony, or just around the house. He would often doze off, but just as often would, within minutes, be ready to start playing again. And so I had, in my little flock of lovely dogs, a sweet, wise, serene, playful puppy who liked to grasp my fingers with his paws and loved everything about life, and there was no escaping it. He was dying. Well, I could not not try to find out if there was something to be done to make his life longer or easier or happier. What we tried to do when I resumed the story that began a year ago tomorrow, the story of Mishu. Next. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We all know someone with hearing loss, or maybe even struggle with it ourselves. But unfortunately, hearing aids cost thousands, which most people just can't afford. Now there's an alternative. A company called Audion Hearing just released new over-the-counter hearing aids for only $189, and they sound amazing. Highly recommended for anyone with hearing loss. Check out audionhearing.com for their 45-day risk-free trial. That's A-U-D-I-E-N hearing.com, and you can use code Keith for $25 off. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Resuming now the story of my Maltese puppy, Mishu. His heart so bad that it pumped oxygenated blood the wrong way and limited him to brief bursts of energy, and how he never really knew how sick he was or that he had been dealt such a bad, tragic hand, and how he just took the life he was given and loved and was loved. Of course, I knew what sadness this was, this special soul trapped in a body that would betray him at any time and fatally, so I had to at least try to see if something could keep him here longer or at least make him feel better. We went to see the city's top cardiologist for dogs, and there wasn't anything to do. Although he thought keeping the cans of a minute's worth of oxygen that you sometimes see football players breathing from on the sidelines, he thought those might help a little when he would have these little pre-faints. Soon I had dozens of those cans in a hall closet, and I was discussing building him an oxygen tent but ultimately, the problem wasn't his breathing. He, he was breathing fine. He got all the oxygen he would normally need. It was finding some way to get the oxygen, pumped by his fatally flawed heart, to carry the oxygen in the blood around his body. And there was no way to do that. The median age of survival for dogs suffering from tetralogy of Fallot was just about two years. The cardiologist brought up Mishu's case on a board of international experts in canine cardiac care, and they agreed that, unfortunately, there was no chance he could survive any operation, let alone experimental surgery for this devastating malformation. He could not survive the anesthesia, let alone 6, 8, 10, 12 hours of surgery. Thus... The visits to the hospital turned out to be more about letting people there who I knew meet him and hold him. And I can tell you there was an extraordinary soothing quality to holding him. 
I heard it from these people again and again. What a special little soul. And he loved to be held. I took him everywhere they would let me take him. He was a regular at my weekly physical therapy for my arthritic joints. My therapist adored him. She would just hold him and tell him stories. Took him to the Apple store once. That he did not like. He went for walks with me and the other dogs, but always in a bag draped over my shoulder. He did not have the stamina to walk for very long, but he enjoyed the outdoors. He enjoyed the park. He enjoyed the other dogs. He enjoyed the people who would come up and say hello to him. The inevitable finally came this time last year. Throughout the last week, the little pre-faints increased, but Mishu's happiness did not decrease. Two days before the end, I approached him with a treat and my camera phone rolling, and sure enough, he punched with the left, and he punched with the right, and he ate the treat, and he licked his purple lips, and when I surprised him with a second treat, he did it all again. Sometime a year ago, I was sound asleep, the dogs sleep with me, and in my dreams, somebody or something was breathing in my ear. Well, of course, it was Mishu. He had figured out how to wake me. He had to go to the bathroom. He knew enough to tell me that. He knew enough to wake me to get me to get him down. And he had to get some water. On the afternoon of the 12th of November, a year ago Saturday, I was holding Mishu in my lap as I sat and looked at the peak foliage in the park out the window. With no warning, he suddenly let out that near-human cry. The other dogs froze in place. I stood up and walked him around the balcony again. I had to sit him down in his pen for a second, and I was just picking him back up when he tensed up just like all the other times. His body got rigid and twisted, and he died. He died as I picked him back up. The special little soul was gone. His body was getting cold with stunning rapidity, and something inside me said, no, not yet. I'm not ready, and I don't know why, but I don't think he is ready. And with no training and no earthly clue what I was doing, I tried CPR on him. You have to try. You have to try. I had so little idea what I was doing that after breathing air in and out of his lifeless body, I moved my face away as if I was going to spit out water before I had to remind myself, no, moron, that would be if he was drowning. I must have done five or six breaths when I heard him exhale. I waited for it to stop or to be a false alarm. It wasn't. Damned if this little dog didn't somehow teach me how to resuscitate him. He was dead and now he was back. I didn't delude myself that this was going to last very long. And the circumstances could not have been worse. It was a rush hour on a Friday afternoon and there was a bottleneck 
and a bridge approach between Mishu and I and the hospital, and I had visions of being stuck in traffic for half an hour or longer and almost nothing they could do for him if we somehow got there in time. But you have to try. You have to try. I loaded a bag full of those cans of oxygen. I grabbed him. I got in the car. The driver realized my distress and asked me what he could do to help. And I said, don't run any lights, but do not stop unless you have to. And when you do stop, help me unwrap some of these plastic wrapped oxygen cans. The oxygen cans are what are keeping him alive. Normal trip, 20 minutes. We made it in 11 minutes. The streets parted for Mishu. At the Animal Medical Center, somehow, I ran up the stairs, I handed him off to the emergency room doctor, saying with an evenness I could not believe I was mustering, my dog is dying, he has tetralogy of fallow. She ran off with him to an examining room, and a second doctor came out, and I briefed her on everything, including Mishu's human-like cry and his unexpected resuscitation, and I told her he had been seen by the chief cardiologist there, and she said, Dr. Fox, Dr. Fox is here. And now Mishu was being worked on by the expert in the field, and despite all of this good fortune, I knew, I knew there was no hope. I had managed to text Sue from the Maltese rescue, who adored him, and she came to the hospital. And three of the people from other departments in the hospital who had met Mishu came down to see him. Not for my sake, for his. It was heartbreaking and heartwarming at the same time. And when his doctor came to me and said he is alive, but if you take him out of the hospital, you'd get about as far as the parking garage and then you'd have to bring him back because what you heard when he cried out was a stroke. The oxygen deprivation was finally too much for him. He had a stroke. And he began to gently prepare me for the question about letting him go. And I stopped him. And I said, I know we've all done everything we can. Mishu especially. I'm ready when you are. So they brought him back to me. A little drip attached to his arm, and when the toggle on the drip was thrown, the medication would end his life. He was as warm and as soft as ever in my arms. And yet I knew he was no longer there. Sue held him for a while, too. And then everybody left me alone with him. I said what you would expect somebody to say in such a circumstance about love and happiness. And then I heard myself saying things about gratitude, gratitude to him for teaching me that in the face of death, the point is to know when to try and when to say enough and that he had taught me how to confront death and crisis and urgency with evenness and practicality that I never knew I had 
in any quantity whatsoever. And to be able to say, I know you had a happy life, Mishu, and it seems like that, and not the fact that you had a happy life, but not a long one. The happy life is all that mattered to you. The cardiologist, Dr. Fox, and the tech came back into the room at this point, and I said I was ready. And they turned the toggle and left very quietly. And I said to Mishu, I know if there is a place for you to go now, I am certain you will be the first one they let in. I just hope they will let me visit you there someday. And I hope you will remember us. I said, good night, sweet prince, and flights of angels sing thee to thy rest. And he was gone. Again, as I had prayed, when he died, Mishu died in my arms. And he managed somehow to do it twice. There are some postscripts. Mishu's cardiologist very solemnly returned and respectfully said that of those international experts who had reviewed his case and were deeply saddened that they could not help him, only two out of a couple of dozen had actually seen and been able to study any small dog suffering from tetralogy of fallow, and Mishu might have one final blessing for them and the rest of us if they could keep and study his poor little malformed heart. Without hesitation, I said yes, because in that instance, I saw him positioning his head on Stevie's head and his back paws on Rose's back paws, so the three of them were cuddling together, and I knew, as I had always known, this was a dog who cared about and actually loved other dogs. So the hospital wound up recalibrating some of the cameras they had that they used to photograph the smallest teeth in the smallest dogs so they could get every imaginable image of Mishu's tiny heart and maybe someday learn methods with which to fix this nightmare in another dog. And Mishu is in the veterinary textbooks now. As a second postscript, Mishu's parents had another litter late last year after he died. And their human was kind enough to offer me either of the brothers Mishu would never know. Each was eerily reminiscent of him, but healthy, completely healthy. So healthy that they were threats to my other three dogs. I had each of them live a week with us and I would have been fine with each other. They liked me fine, but each of them first bit Ted in the genitals, and then Stevie in the genitals, and Rose in the genitals, and in one case, me in the genitals. They were crazy. Fun, but crazy. And the second one was not only twice as large as other Maltese his age, he was able to vault out of his pen like an Olympic gymnast. So they went back and now have their own homes where they, they are the only dogs in their own homes. So, the third postscript. When Sue from Maltese Rescue reached out again this past June and said, 
Um, I've got another special case, 15-year-old. Perfect health, but, but rotting teeth, and he has dementia. His human got sick and, and didn't really take care of him, and then she died. And I don't know what to do. Who's going to adopt a 15-year-old? I was able to raise my hand. I had an open roster spot. The 15-year-old's name is Minet. It's French for kitty. I can't imagine what confusion that's caused him all these years. His human had been a French teacher. He actually didn't have dementia, or at least not very much dementia. It was those teeth. His teeth were so bad, so rotten, some of them came out by just pulling on them with your fingers. So we had them all taken out. And the next day, he woke up like he was seven years old, looked around like, how long have these other dogs been here? Every day since then, he's gotten a little younger. He's Benjamin Button. And he's a living instruction. Look out for your dog's teeth. Even if you think you know to do that, do it more. The last postscript. I got the tattoo a month after Mishu died. His pensive, half-smiling little face looks up at me from near the crook of my elbow where he used to sit when I would carry him around after one of those pre-faints. It is a remarkable likeness. To me, it means exactly what you would think it means. It comforts me greatly. It means Mishu is always with me. And always will be with me. And now, as this unwanted but not tragic anniversary approaches, Mishu will also, I hope, always be with you. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We all know someone with hearing loss, maybe even struggle with it ourselves. But unfortunately, hearing aids cost thousands, which most people just can't afford. Now there's an alternative. A company called Audion Hearing just released new over-the-counter hearing aids for only $189, and they sound amazing. Highly recommended for anyone with hearing loss. Check out audionhearing.com for their 45-day risk-free trial. That's A-U-D-I-E-N hearing.com, and you can use code KEITH for $25 off. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today.